0: What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Drag Zine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. My guest this week is Craig Sullivan. Craig, what's going on?
1: Uh, it's a good day in the neighborhood, dude. It's been uh, awesome.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's uh, it's been on the up and up for you the back half of the year with the old uh, the hot rod you brought out Elmero Mero and uh, kind of grabbed a lot of people's attention, picked up some wins, and you've had a whole lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. Uh, we built a brand new car, had a lot of, uh, of vendors that participated in the build and we let them do what they done best. And, uh, you know, we come out of the box and we win the first one. Um, we, uh, are, we're still in at four cars at night under fire when they lost power. Uh, we, um, got to the semifinals at NMCA Martin and, uh, we won Indy. So, out of four hits, we've got two wins and two semifinal runner ups or two semifinals. So it's been a good time.
0: Yeah, I, I've got definitely a lot of questions I want to hit up for the Pro mop, for sure, just because that car like legit captured so many people's attention, which is which is really amazing. But I, I think before we get to that, we kind of kind of like we, we got to build the story around that because I, I think there's a lot to be told here. You know why you know, people don't question why madman do the things they do. And I think we need to figure out why you wanted to build a 49 Merc pro mod, but I was looking into you and, you know, you grew up around racing with your dad and what really captured your imagination about racing at a young age?
1: Uh, my father run, uh, modified production for years. And, uh, he, uh, I'm sorry. I lost you on the screen for some reason.
0: Oh, it's all good. I can still see you though. That's all important. Can you hear me?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, just roll with it. <laughs> okay. Um, no, uh, my dad run modified production for years and, uh, you know, had, had a little bit of luck, not a whole lot, just a guy doing it on his own. And, uh, that's what kind of got me, uh, into the racing side. Um, and, uh, you know, never received any uh, uh, big sponsorship monies, never received, you know, a team car with uh, a large corporation that, that really worked in the racing world. But uh, we've been fortunate enough to do things our way, and uh, we've brought a lot of manufacturers with us and uh, a lot of good help.
0: And, you know, the, the modified production days, you know, kind of talk about that because that was an interesting era of drag racing to grow up. And I'm sure and kind of like provided you a lot of opportunities to, to see some uh, some pretty cool stuff.
1: I did. I did. And, and to be 18 to 25 in that era would have been awesome. But unfortunately, I was five, six, seven. <laughs> <laughs> so it just made loud noises and done wheelies.
0: Yeah. And that's what I think a lot of people, you know, kind of forget is that there was a time before bracket racing, radio racing and heads up racing in the way that we see it, that there was a lot of other forms of racing that you kind of had to be very uh, creative to get into. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You really did. And and bracket racing and uh, street racing is kind of where we fell into it. Uh, grew up on the West side of Indianapolis and, uh, We'd all co-cruise the South Side Strip and look for a race here and there. And, uh, you know, there really wasn't the Wednesday night uh, street races at at Raceway Park at that point in time. And luckily, that's that's around now to kind of control the street racing.
0: What, What was the first kind of like hot rod type vehicle that you had that you started toying with and trying to figure out how to make go faster?
1: I had a 61 Fairlane, and a 61 Fairlane back then was a Galaxy, so it was a big car. had a 292 Y block in it and a three-speed, and uh, it quickly got three deuces put on it and uh, a four-speed put in it and a camshaft and kept it put together with Band-Aids and baling wire, and we done pretty good with it
0: that's always the interesting era when you're when you're messing with cars like that, because uh, it's almost comical when you park them by a modern vehicle. You forget how big they are. And, you know, they're, they're kind of sledgehammers. There wasn't a lot of uh, technology with those cars, right?
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah, they uh, it was pretty much rev it up and dump the clutch on a little F78 14 tire and figure out how to go faster and. Back then, we didn't know slowing down got you faster.
0: No, no, it was just the. You, you, it was a matter of just trying to attempt to get power to the pavement and just grab gears, right?
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Now you also raced super stock as well, as, which is one of my favorite forms of drag racing because that's where I think like stock, super stock, and comp are where some of the the smartest people live because you get put in a very interesting box when it comes to rules you know what attracted you to super stock racing
1: um we had been top dragster racing and uh and jegs quick 32 racing for a long time in a dragster and we were having fun with it and uh, i uh decided i wanted to go super stock racing and and we had taken a uh fox body uh hatchback that had been a drag radial car and uh kind of t- turned it into a super stock with a 352 cobra jet in it and uh I showed up to my first event in Bella Rose, Louisiana, for the JEGS Open, and uh, the uh, Kevin Helms come over and go, Craig, what are you doing? Because I showed up with drag radials on, Pro 275s, and beadlocks on this car to run super stock. <laughs> uh, we learned a few things. We obviously didn't win class. At, that area is pretty strong at, at that class level. And... But uh, we come around pretty quickly with it, and uh, we're able to set the record at uh, St. Louis, and uh, you know had a had a pretty good time with it.
0: I could only imagine the super stock racer seeing a beadlock small tire car roll on the lanes. That the level of confusion must have been relatively high with them.
1: It was, especially since it was a stock suspension car. I mean, it still had the 8800, it still had the, the stock trailing arms under it that had been beefed up a little bit. And, uh, you know, it, it rolled out there and it was pretty competitive once we got a few things lined out.
0: Yeah, it, it, that's, again, what I, what I think attracts a lot of people to super stock. And what I think is cool is that you really have to be very smart with how you play with that vehicle and just throwing p- piles of cash help but it's definitely not going to make you the fastest guy out there. Cause you got to be pretty ingenuitive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you do. Uh, we had run uh, big stuff three on our top dragster uh, for quite a while. And we're one of the first guys to bring that to top dragster, the EFI product. And uh, so we used it in our super stock deal. And uh, you know, Joe Plowski from hyperactive, has been with me since prior to Superstock with the EFI product. And uh, yeah, it was fun. We had a real good time with it. Uh, we got to learn how some of that manages and, and you know, I can correlate some of the way that little small block Ford run with um, a Roots Pro Mod at this point in time. And uh, you know, so some of that bleeds over and, and you just got to think outside of the box a little bit to be successful.
0: Yeah, and that, that's, I think that definitely uh, kind of defines a lot of drag racing, but especially that class, and, and that you you be able to take what you learned and drew it into a pro mod's interesting. Now, top dragster, how did you end up kind of getting in that? Because that's a, that's a pretty intense class to make, you know, to, to run. A lot of people don't realize how quick and fast those cars are. You're still trying to bracket race them, essentially.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, here in Division three, we have the Quick 32 and it's pretty much a breeding grounds for top dragster. Uh, you know, myself, Philip Oakley. Um, th- there's just a pile of, of J.B. Straswig, um, Al Peevler. There's a bunch of us that have run that series for a long time. So it was a natural step for us to move up and you know, back in those days, you'd be from 450 to, to 456. They had 32 cars in there. So it was almost an index race at that point. And, uh, I think now they've got that lowered from 450 to like 454 with 32 cars in there. So, you know, when, when you show up to that, there's a bunch of professional eight mile racers there that are prepared to go 450. And, uh, it makes it pretty tough. So then when you switch over to the quarter mile stuff, you know, you get to ease up on the car on the front, but you got to really make it run out the back. And uh, you know, the, the EFI product really got us to where we were, we had a good manageable piece and could manage our nitrous tune-ups to the infinite side. So it wasn't near as much of a guessing game with carburetors and uh, you know, as long as you've got uh, your atmosphere in the bottle, it's pretty predictable.
0: Yeah, and th- that's the you know being here in Division Three. Uh, top sportsmen and top dragster are, man, they're meat grinders. You go to a lot of these events in this region, and it's if you don't have your program right and tight, you're in for a long, long weekend, or sh- or potentially short weekend too, depending on how
1: you get first round. Exactly, exactly. But uh, you definitely don't want to bring a knife to gunfight in Division Three.
0: No, it, it was funny to see, you know, as I started to follow Top Dragster more when it was still the six zero level, just how many cars were right in that like six zero zero range or like would, would tip to the naughty side to the fives and just the repeatability of going that fast. What, what's it take to be able to do that? Because you know, the faster you go, the harder it is, let alone to do it, you know, at a bracket racing level.
1: Yeah, I mean, Andy Johnson went 242 in top sportsman trim this weekend at St. Louis. So <laughs> you're going to run down there with a car that'll run, you know, 680s and a top sportsman car that might run 185. And this 55 Chevrolet comes blowing by you at 242. And uh, according to Brett Kepner, I guess that's five miles off the record, five mile an hour off the record. But, uh, you know, it's measuring things in the nth degree. You know, 15 years ago, you could measure that with a yardstick. Well, now you got to get the micrometer out to measure every part, or every bit of performance in your program and get it to the nth degree.
0: What's it like trying to judge the stripe going that fast in a dragster? Because that's, that's got to be kind of wild when you're, when you're trying to line someone up for that.
1: I mean, when you drive with your eyes shut, you're not judging anything. you're you're counting to five and you pull the parachute Uh, interesting driving technique that's a bold strategy
0: (laughs) Uh, and and i'm sure there might be a couple of people out there that are somewhat close to that was mildly terrifying but (laughs) it, it, it it's like you said the the goal someone going screaming by at that speed like coming up on somebody that's that's gotta be wild
1: yeah you can't judge it I mean, you're you're in it to run it out the back, and that's what you do. And and uh, the uh, the Johnsons have mastered that quite well. I think uh, Andrew's dad has uh, several championships under his belt. And they've they've just they have uh, they're the guys you measure yourself up against in that category.
0: That's interesting because I I guess in my mind I always thought that top sportsmen and top dragster, you're still trying to maybe. Like I always wondered if there's any kind of stripe judging going on, but apparently it's just you, you put the tune up in for what you think the violin's going to go, and you let a rip tater chip, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's still some guys driving the finish line. I mean, when you've got somebody that's at a similar mile an hour, that that technique still works. But when uh, when you're carrying 20 or 25 mile an hour or 40 mile an hour over somebody, there's just no way possible.
0: That's the, like, uh, you know, the more you think about that, that's got to be just absolutely, that's in, intense to be rolling up on somebody with that much <laughs> mile an hour that
1: quick. Well, it keeps you thinking while you're waiting on that tree to come down and your car to go. So you've let go of the button at the same time. And when they're sitting at, uh, you know, three or four or 500 feet down the track, you're gone. Is this thing ever going to leave?
0: Yeah. It, you know, you see those, those, uh, I I call them the comedic matchups and like stock or super stock where it's like a 15 second car against, you know, a a Hemi Kuda or a Copo. And the guy sitting on the starting line doing his taxes and he's got to spot this dude at eight second lead. That's, that's not a fun time for anybody involved.
1: No, not at all. Not at all.
0: Especially when you're the person being chased and you know that that hound dog's coming and they're coming hard and fast. That's, you know, Big difference between those cars and a top dragster, something like that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. You get in uh, that little Maverick that's a six cylinder automatic car that uh, is running that 17 or 18 second deal. Or uh, Brian Olson used to have uh, his Escort service that was, uh, I don't know, 1982 1983 Escort that I think run 18 seconds in stock. So it's, uh, there's some comical matchups, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's, I guess when you when you look at the faster classes it's not quite as there but then it comes down to being able to uh to to know your machine and whatnot that's uh that's pretty important what if what have you been able to pull from top dragster to use in pro mod
1: well there's there's a lot of guys that don't pay attention to the front half the racetrack i mean it seems like everybody has sharpened up their skills on their tree and got it to where they could hit the tree but uh they're still consistent in going down the track or, or keys and ProMod. And if you only go down the track one of six times or one of three times, uh, that's not a very good ratio. And that's what we had to do with the Barn Burner because that was a 2006 car. And not that they run a whole bunch of eighth mile back then, but that car was built to go 440, 430 in the eighth. And, uh, the snowbirds last year we went 367 in that car you know that car was never built to go that fast yeah uh, so yeah when when you look at being able to hit the tree and the convenience factor of what you've got to do to back the car up and uh, the uh, oh a gentleman in St. Louis that used to build Pro Mods, but then he was a YouTube star and he still don't build Pro Mods. He builds a bunch of parts. Tim, uh, what's his name? McAmis, yeah, yeah. My car is very much the kind of car that he describes. My Pro Mod is set up like a bracket car. I can turn the power on by myself. I can turn the CO2 bottle on by myself. I can start the car by myself, you know, and, and part of that is I have one full-time crew guy and I have uh, a, a part-time guy and I've got Joe Oplowski from Hyperactive. So these guys that have got five and six and seven people on the crew, you know, either they've got way better friends than me or they got a big payroll to pay. So <laughs> yeah, we we set the car up, that, you know if you wanted to go top sportsman racing that's not far from it. So the lay box then I can go
0: and I think that's interesting that you you kind of approach it that way And I mean it makes sense to be able to to run with a small crew to be able to get a car started and stuff like that by yourself because if something goes wrong you can for lack of better terms troubleshoot in a hurry if you need to inside the car
1: yeah yeah it is it is and uh you know with the fuel check I've got you know, five tune-ups available to me at a touch of a screen. So as long as we've got some different deviations there, but if you've got two guys starting a car and somebody trips and falls, and, you know, they get hurt to where they can't get back up and start the car, what do you do? Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of times, you know, at night it's dark. You really can't see a whole lot. And, uh, but uh, it takes that much away that me as the driver still have control of. So it's a hundred percent my fault when there's an issue.
0: And it's interesting you mentioned that because you, you let me sit in barn burner and start it up one time. And it's uh, it's interesting when you're in a car like that with that blower there that they the cars seem like they're big from the outside until you get in that seat and you're contained and you're restrained. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I, I need to kind of have this stuff where I can reach it, you know, just in case, right?
1: Right. You know, in the barn burner, we learned because it was an older car and it had a race pack dash in it. the The FT six hundred was over on the passenger side. Well, we knew that when we built a new car, that it was going to be in front of me. So if I needed to make that change, it's there so I can make it.
0: Yeah, and again, it kind of it's interesting to tie back to what you said that a car is only made to go so fast and so quick that, that that's again something that might be lost on a lot of people that the different cars for different ETs have little uh tricks built into them so they can be repeatable and survive at that level because it, it's a whole different animal like you said to step from a, a 360 or 370 something to a four
1: second car that that's a big jump. Oh it is it is and uh you know it's it's seat time that, that makes you better and uh you know, there's a lot of people that have done things a lot of different ways and have been successful. And it doesn't mean that it's not the right way or the way I do. It's the wrong way. It's that's the way we prefer to do it. Um, you know, and uh, right now you've got a lot of pro mods with three, four or five speeds in them, depending on what they're doing. And, and we run a three speed turbo because it fits our schedule or it fits the way we want the car to work the best. Um I think you got to be half rocket scientist to run a, a, a Liberty right now. And Melanie Salemi's the best at it, um, you know, but uh, there's a lot of actions that it takes to back that car up, you know, after you do the burnout yeah. and with mine, it's, it's stupid dumb. You put it in R for reverse, and push the trans brake button and it backs up.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's some of those Liberty cars. So you have to almost like cast a spell to, like, <laughs> to get them to go forward or back. Because I look at those things I'm like that's a lot of solenoids. There's a lot of moving parts there for, for something to go wrong versus, like you said, old Turbo 350 or 400. There's a, a lot less in there that can go wrong.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: You know, it's, a, it's like I always joke the best hammer, the best tool is a hammer because it ain't got no moving parts.
1: There you go. There you go.
0: Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break here on the Zine Podcast with Craig Sullivan. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Mosier Engineering has been racing across five decades and through three generations of family. We have also been supporting sportsman ranks since the beginning with our lightning-fast two-day turnaround time. Everything we make from axles, rear ends, suspension, brakes, and more are made right here in the USA with one goal in mind, so you can win to learn more check us out online at mozierengineering.com all right we're back on the Zine podcast with craig sullivan talking about black magic transmissions and every thing in between which is uh it's interesting from from your perspective like so you've been around the game for a while how do you approach the newest and neatest whiz bang toys do you kind of take a step back and let other people R&D it? Or are you one of the guys that's like, oh, I got to jump in on whatever that is, outside of Liberty Transmissions, of course.
1: <laughs> I don't know. We, we've got a pretty tried and true group of vendors we work with. And, uh, you know, Mark Mickey at m M&M and is one of them. And he pretty much keeps us abreast of, of the new technology and the transmission stuff and, and tries to keep us on point. Um, you know, Darren Mayer, does all of our blower stuff. Uh, he also consults with us to help us get to where we need to be. And we don't always go the route that Darren shows us, but sometimes we show Darren a different way to get there. And uh, that's kind of one of the things of, of looking at everything outside the box that has worked so well for us. Um, you know, the, the, the guys that have been doing this for, for ages, you know, they have their way of going about it, and uh, it's, uh, it works great for them. We just refuse to, to be caught in, into that scenario. So uh, we try to make it simpler every time we go to bat.
0: And I guess that also kind of really plays into how it makes running one of these cars easier, especially at the pro mod level like you guys do, is that simple can sometimes be great because it makes – Getting things done a lot
1: easier, doesn't it? Oh, it does. And it's less manpower. You know, the, the we are con- Tommy, Tommy Radloff, that runs my engine shop and, and manages the car. You know, he's always playing with camshaft and piston design. And uh, I pretty much never know what camshafts in a vehicle when we show up and uh we collect data and we get it back to the right people to to see what we can do to to make valve springs live longer or does this make us an extra 300 horsepower but you got to change intake springs every pass and you know it's it's what does it take to make it better and uh you know you can always be on the edge to go faster but if you have to do a complete overhaul every time you do that then it's counterproductive uh so we're kind of looking to – we don't ever look to be the number one qualifier, um, but we intend on going rounds and winning. And uh, we just kind of stay in that rhythm and, and uh, keep that mindset.
0: Yeah, that's – I think that, you know, you, you see that at a, at a certain level that it's, it's never the, the car that you're worried about that's hitting a home run ball. You, the car that is consistent is the one that you really need to worry about because they're going to get down that track – every time and wreak a lot of havoc on the competition that's that's a sweet spot
1: you want to be in right yeah yeah it is it is and well our last race at indy uh number one qualifier was ken cartuccio we were number two um at that point he was uh 400s faster than us and then when we come up for first round every round we were the fast car in eliminations and we run ken in the final and I think uh, performance-wise, we might have been thou faster than him. But, uh, yeah, the, the, we have always struggled in qualifying with our older car, and it looks like the newer car, we're uh, a little more ahead of the game. There's less curveballs.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a lot less that you uh, – you know, it's like math. Math gets easier the more variables you pull out. That's the way I, I – I like my numbers and my letters separate. Same thing yes. goes to drag racing, right? Exactly, exactly. Simpler the better and you touched on you know the, the engine portion of the thing and a lot of people I don't think they realize you guys do like your own engine you have a shop in the whole deal don't you
1: yeah yeah I started Wild Irish Engines uh, two or three years ago um, and uh, that was one of the things getting Tommy to move down here to Indy uh, was him being able to have control over that and and the development and uh, you know you've always got a preference of vehicles you want to work on or engine styles that you want to work on. And sometimes that's not the way it works. Uh, you know, I had a, a gentleman bring in a two liter BMW, uh, naturally aspirated. that We'd done for them back in October of last year. And they show up at uh, Daytona and they win their class and they go to Sebring and they come in second. And, uh, you know, we got two more engines from them to go through for them. So, um, we, we see a lot of that. And uh, I think that uh, Tommy and the guys have a lot to bring to the table at our engine shop. So.
0: And that kind of, you know, uh, th- that's got to be good for, like you, you mentioned, you guys go through and you, you experiment a lot, being able to do that in-house and then also getting other engines to play with where you guys kind of are having that ability to to build a database and learn and, and use that in your own program, right?
1: Yeah. 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 Um, We've we are very fortunate. We've got a uh, another SCCA customer that's been bringing in six Honda V8s, and this was you know eight year old, ten year old technology at the Indy 500 at the IRL level. So we're going to get to take a look at some of that to to see what we can take from that. But we also have to build them a reliable piece to go perform at the level of competition that they're at. So it's uh, it's pretty informative.
0: Oh, yeah, and with endurance engines, you know, that's like dirt track, late model engines. Those things take a beating. Those dudes are not kind to those engines at all. Not
1: at all. Not at all.
0: Those those valve, that that valve train is just doing things that it's not happy doing a lot.
1: Correct. And what that might do is that might mean, you know, you got to take a little lift out, put a little more duration in it. To get it to live, and yeah, it doesn't have the peak horsepower that everybody likes to brag about, but it's got the average because you're adding more power to the bottom and taking a little off the top to get it to where it's got longevity.
0: Well, and I think this is something that you know a lot of drag racers will appreciate too: is that you've got that that window that you want that power and that usable power, and you base it on what you're trying to do, especially you know if you've got you know, a screw blown Hemi versus another kind of engine. They all, they all like their, their, uh, their steaks cooked a little different, don't they? They do.
1: They do. I mean, we, I have been told by a couple of my vendors, you know, we're 300 horsepower short in comparison to some, some other pro mod racers. Well, when you get down to it, and you look at the averages, we were 80 horsepower short. When you go through the range of operation that it's at. So When somebody tells you you're 300 short, you you kind of look at yourself and go, how dumb can we be? But when it comes down to 80 over the average, that's pretty easy to overcome. Yeah.
0: And and I think that, you know, with pro mod racing, is is it something where you're trying to get all of that usable horsepower throughout the entire run, right? Versus just in one particular area, because that's what's going to help carry you through the whole pass
1: yeah and then the management of that power so you could make more power but it could be you know something that when you put a half a degree in it flips over and it picks up another 150 horsepower where if you've got something that it takes you to put a degree in it to get it or a degree and a half it's far more management you're manageable you're not on that slippery slope to where you know if if the dew point hits you're not going down the track
0: yeah and you know, with, with pro mods, it's you know obviously an extremely popular class, and one of the ones you can get a lot of racing done. And what was it like? I always find this interesting. The first time you got in a screw blown pro mod, you know that's 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 a whole lot of uh, you know a lot of angry engine. What was that like for you to start driving you know
1: a, a blown door car? Uh, it was it was a different experience because I was coming out of my dragster. But when you look at the, the G-meter and, and the other things that go along with it, it wasn't that big of a change on how big a kick in the seat it was. What it was was you had to drive it now. It wasn't like you were in your dragster and had done a wheelie for 300 feet. and You could eat a piece of pizza, and it shifted, and then you pulled the parachute, and you turned off. You know, With the, the barn burner, you had to drive it all 660 feet. So when we left from the roots to the screw, it was pretty eye-opening at that point in time.
0: Yeah, well, what's the difference between going from a roots to a screw outside? One is kind of angry and one is extraordinarily pissed off.
1: Yeah, the root stuff, I like to compare to a super stocker. It's a pretty fine-tooth piece of equipment because uh, you know everything has to be working in conjunction with the screw. I'm gonna say you only utilize 80 to 85% of the horsepower available. I mean, uh, you know, when, when you look at it, it's, it's all about power management. And uh, yeah, you really, in my opinion, you really don't get to a place to where you don't know what's gonna happen until you put a 315 radio on it or a 275 radio on it. Then you don't know what's gonna happen. It'll step out on you quicker than you can ever imagine.
0: Yeah, that that's uh you you've, you drove the barn burner with with both on you know slicks and radials on it. Which which was your your favorite to use?
1: The car actually responded to the radial much better than it did the slick. Really? Uh, yes. Yeah. It was it it liked that much more. Um, we were just so far behind in the power side at that point in time that uh, you know, we weren't really competitive enough to go run with all those guys. Uh, but, uh, you know, Mark Woodruff has uh, allowed me to drive both his 69 Camaro and RVW and uh, and the Corvette and Pro 275. And uh, those cars can can go away in an instant.
0: Yeah, that, that's the uh, you talk to a lot of guys that have driven both and the, the, the radials are more stable. You know, it, it's a go or no until day. they're not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything's going fine until you see that art until you see the tack screaming at you right right versus a slick is like you know you're you having to drive it more like a boat and it's you know right. you, you got to kind of guide it a little bit kind of where you want to go it's like a dance isn't it
1: yeah yeah you're hurting cats you just got to keep them in between the lines and the wall
0: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that that's a very good way to put it that's if you if you watch a pro mod on slicks from the rear that's how it looks a lot it's if it's going straight it's going slow right
1: right right exactly
0: now what was it like kind of jumping in one of those those turbo door cars of marks because again that that's another complete shift isn't it in power management and and where the kick in the pants comes in right
1: oh yeah now my my first full pass in mark's corvette i don't know about 300 feet i kind of drove it towards the center line and i come back and and uh Brent Sansui, he's gone. What happened to you? Why'd you lift in the middle? And I said, well, I said, I really didn't know I was there. I said, I couldn't tell how fast I was going. So I looked at the, at the grandstands and the light posts there at Orlando to figure out how fast it was going. Because when it left, it just, you know, it wasn't the kick in the seat. And then all of a sudden the G meter kicks in and starts dragging it along. So it's a very different sensation of what's going on. And, uh, you know, the Then the other side is the the standard operating procedure to be able to stage that turbo car. I'll never forget it. It was about my fourth or fifth pass, and Woody's standing next to me. And I get up there, and I get ready to start bumping in, and the car won't bump in. I tried it three or four times. I shut the car off, opened the door. And he goes, what's wrong? I go, it won't bump in. He says, the little pedal on the right, you got to put it on the mat. So I shut the door, I started it back up and I bumped it in and I made a run. But it, it was one of those things that it wasn't exactly what I was used to doing. So it took a while to relearn that. And you know, being able to stay calm and ask questions and then everybody laugh at you afterwards, it's, it's all right, it was pretty cool.
0: Big difference between having the old uh, blower right foot and the turbo right
1: foot, right? Exactly, exactly.
0: One of those is wound up and ready to to go at any point. in That turbo car, you try to pedal it, it's gonna react a little bit different, I'm sure, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. You you pedal a a, a turbo car, you just need to shut it off because you're never gonna get back control of everything again.
0: Yeah, and th- that's the key is getting getting control because that again at that radial, it could all of a sudden decide it wants to come unglued, and if you're down track at a high rate of speed, that's a uh, that's not the play you want to be in.
1: No. Not at all. Not at all.
0: Now, have you ever raced one of the turbo cars in the full quarter mile?
1: No, I haven't. I've not even run a pro mod quarter mile. Uh, the fastest thing I've been in is, is my dragster. And it's probably been almost 10 years ago since I run it. And it goes 6.0. It went 6.09 at uh, 231.
0: For some reason, I thought you did the, the one of the, the quarter mile pro mod events. That's I, I, I find that interesting. I thought you did.
1: Well, we went uh, you know, when we brought the barn burner out, we uh, went to uh, West Palm for a, a opener pro mod event there. But uh, we were basically just trying to figure out how to make it go down the track and stay out of everybody's way. So we had no intentions of running quarter mile there.
0: Yeah. It's definitely something that, uh, you're not wanting to make full rips when you're just trying to figure out, you know, first time at a door car, like how we make this thing go. That's, that's not the, uh, not the safest route to go. Right.
1: No, no, not at all. And, you know, part of that is you have to go to places like that because your local track doesn't, doesn't prep for that. Um, and your local track may or may not have the right safety equipment there. And, uh, you know, that's the big thing when you transition from, you know, bracket racing and, and national event racing, and you're going to do some outlaw stuff is, you know, do they have the right people there to cut you out of the car? Do they have the right people to, for the medical side? And uh, unfortunately, that's all things you have to weigh out.
0: Yeah, that, you know, there's, a, I think sometimes people might get a little uh overzealous, oh, it pays this amount. Well, you know, does this ambulance actually have you know, supplies in it, or is it just a box on wheels?
1: Right. Right. Has it been started in the last two years?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've all been to those tracks where it's like you roll through the gate you're like, this is definitely an outlaw track. And, you know, you ask yourself, do I feel comfortable trying to make a hit as fast as I'm going to try to go down this track?
1: Yes, I agree. And
0: I, there is no shame, like I said, in asking questions or, you know, being out a little bit on a tech card versus you know winding up a car having big problems oh yes now we're going to take another quick break here on the drag podcast when we get back here we're going to talk to craig about his uh his new toy the uh, the killer merc that he drives we'll be back right here on the drag zine podcast pro mod racers are dominating the strip with pat Musi power now you can rule the street with a new Elderbrock brock Musi 555 crate engine Every 555 is built by Pat Musi in his North Carolina race shop using the best Eldelbrock components. These big blocks make up to 723 horsepower on 91 octane pump gas with the reliability that Musi engines are known for. The Elderbrock Musi 555 is available in ProFlow 4 EFI or carbureted versions and are covered by Elderbrock's industry leading 24 month warranty. Get full specs at Eldelbrock.com forward slash Musi dash racing. All right, we're back on the show with Craig Sullivan, and, and Craig was you were known for the barn burner for a while that 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 killer Dodge. What what made you decide to go with that vehicle over you know your typical traditional pro mod?
1: Well, even with our dragster product, it was uh, usually something very different. Uh, you know, we worked with American race cars to come up with the first purpose built uh, top dragster that was a hardtail. And, uh, you know, it it was very successful and it kind of forced the shock guys to step up to figure out how they were going to take these swing arm and four-lane dragsters to get them to run there. And, uh, it took them a little bit, but you know, there's a lot of, a lot of swing arm cars out there that are running as fast as any of the hardtails ever thought about. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the barn burner was kind of what it was because I traded a dragster for it and some cash and, uh. You know, I had gotten it from Chip King, and uh, you know those are pretty ugly cars when you look at what a a real Daytona or uh, uh, what they looked like when they were put out of the factory and and what NASCAR had used. There really wasn't a good way to to put color on it to make it look like it fit the car, and uh, you know we decided that it was a. Uh, you know, it had to be something that it was natural. And the easiest way to do that was, you know, this was a car that Petty got mad at and put out behind the bar and, uh, the weeds grew up around it and everything else. And we took it and turned it into a pro mod. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when, you look at what we were able to do with it, I'm extremely happy with it. But, uh, the late Brian Olson told me that it'd sell a ton of t-shirts and, uh, it sold the bonds, but uh, Elmero has outsold it in t shirts already. Um, and we sold maybe ten thousand dollars in t shirts on the uh barn burner in a four or five year period, and we've done that in four races with Elmero Mero. And uh, you know, thanks to Scott Bathurst for keeping us in inventory and, and taking the care of us on our shirt product, but uh, you know, it's uh. We wanted something different. Uh, my godfather and my father and a bunch of their buddies that they all went to school with, they've all had 49 and 50 Ford's, and Mercury's, and Lincoln's. And Yeah, I thought that that's what I wanted to do. I'd I seen Johnny Rocca as a kid, and I uh, thought that that car was always cool. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, if I was going to build my last Pro Mod, I wanted it to be a 49 Mercury, so... We went out and started looking for things and found them and modified them and took them to larry jeffers and he built a buck and a mold and we've got what we've got today
0: i we i was seeing the teaser pics of the cars jeffers was working on. i was like oh this thing's like i was like this is gonna look amazing like you could just tell the proportions i'm like God, like, this is going to be amazing. What's Craig going to do with it? I figured it'd be like some crazy, like, candy purple color. And then I saw the pictures that Kevin Diossi dropped for Race Pages Digital. And, like, legit, I was like, this car's about to break social media. Like, yep. this has so much cool to it. It's unreal. And lo and behold, I mean, the response to the car has been, unbelievable now what's the roundabout number that people have asked you about the paint on the car
1: as far as that that you've had to explain that no it's not paint it's a wrap oh no no it's you know when when the barn burner come around i put i basically would interview people to wrap it and paint it and uh Kryptonite Customs sold me on their program for, for the barn burner. And, uh, you know, Chris had been in business for quite some time before he got to the barn burner, but you know, that with three or four other cars really got him the advertising that he had really been wanting. I mean, when we introduced that car at uh, PRI, there were people complaining our, the other vendors around it, because there were so many people, nobody could get through the aisle. Oh yeah. And, you know, Chris was very thankful that the turnout that he got, and he showed up the next year with another vehicle that didn't bring as much presence. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we were really happy with the turnout and he was ecstatic about it. And then when I told him that we were doing this Mercury, he got pretty excited. And, uh, he didn't tell me till after I dropped the car off to him that he was retiring and, uh, his, uh, lead graphic artist was going to be buying the company. So me and the the graphic artist and, and, uh, um, Chris had gotten together on what we wanted to do. And, you know, they didn't want to start on anything until they got the car because the car was so round. You weren't going to be able to print a bunch of straight lines and then be straight on the car. And, uh, he'd had the car a couple of weeks and I go, you know, I said, I'm, uh, I want a gold car and I want all the top surfaces laced. And, uh, we kind of went through what lacing a vehicle looked like and, and how it was produced in the seventies and eighties and the sixties. And, uh, he sent me a picture of the car just in gold and lace. And I go, it looks good. Put color on it now. And, uh, you know, he ran with it. He'd done exactly what they wanted to do with it. And uh, I couldn't be happier. Um, the guys at Kryptonite knocked it out of the park. And, you know, it would have been really easy to do black with with a flame job down, a traditional flame job down the middle of it, and, or plumb Crazy Purple and, and some kind of trick white flame package on it. Um, but I think that's what everybody would expect.
0: And, oh, yeah, that's uh, what I was expecting.
1: Well, when when me and Mark Woodruff were in a similar business uh, model and sell the same products and you know we've been going to SEMA for 20 years. And uh, those were always cars that you kind of walk by because it wasn't production collision repair like what we do. And, you know, it, it, as you get older, you look at the craftsmanship that is there and the, and the intricacy that's there. And I kind of thought, well, this is what I want to do on my car. I want it to look like something that that come out of LA, you know, in the 60s and the 70s. And, you know, it needs to be a wrap. Number one, it's more cost effective. And number two, it had been in paint jail still, and we wouldn't be racing it. Um, But, uh, you know, the wrap companies have have gotten pretty good. Uh, The barn burner was in... uh, 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 the 3M catalog for the wrap product quite a few times, and their are different distribution markets that you would buy wrap materials in. It was in as well, and uh, but uh, the guys at Kryptonite, you know, I can't say enough about them because not only did they design that and install it, but they planned where all the brake lines were going to be in the car. So. A brake line is as hidden as it possibly can. And that's something that a lot of wrap companies don't pay attention to you know, because it's, we're installing it and this is where it's at. Uh, so you need to take that into consideration when you're pricing something like this. But uh, you know, the paint job would have been well over 50000 to get that done. I don't think we'd still have it.
0: And that's why I asked how many people asked about the paint on it, because I'm assuming that you get everybody that walks up and that's like, Oh, that's a, you know, you have to explain them. No, that's not a paint job because I don't know what my dad. So he goes, that's an amazing paint job on that car. Cause he saw it on life live feed. I'm like, dad, that's a wrap. And he didn't believe me. I'm like, I, I snapped a picture of it up at Norwalk. I'm like, no, trust me. This is a freaking wrap. And it just, you, you, unless you really look close and know what you're looking for until you get up on it it looks like paint oh yeah and and i guess too probably going with a wrap versus paint is uh it kind of takes that factor out of if it had a fifty thousand dollar paint job on it if you so much as nicked it you would cry a little bit with a wrap at least it's not as bad right
1: it's more durable but i mean the, the pro mod racers are like motorcycle riders there's two kinds those that have gone down and those that are going down and uh, you're just one bad decision away from piling that thing at all. So it's, uh, you know, it, it allows us to, to do repairs and it look as good as new in a timely fashion.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's stuff like that. You don't think of as well. And then, you know, I'm sure, you know, what, what was it like in the process working with Larry to have a car built like this? Cause there's probably a few things that you had to take in consideration building the chassis, when, when you presented him, I want to put this kind of body on it because it's not a new Camaro or a 67 Camaro. Uh, what kind of uh, interesting predicaments did that put him in with what he had to do?
1: Well, they never started their chassis until they got the body 100% done because the width is something else. I mean, that car at the rocker is 10 inches wider than a 69 Camaro. Whoa it's four inches narrower at the rocker than Randy Merrick's Corvette. So, I mean, you go from one spectrum to the other there. Um, so um, when I told him I wanted to do it, he thought, yeah, that will be cool. Let's do it. So I got the body all done and got it the way I wanted it to get to him. <clears throat> and uh, he was pretty stoked on it for a while. And then he kind of got, you know, this thing's, I don't know about this. And then I started telling him what it was going to be painted like and he, he kind of got disinterested in it a little bit, but you know he was, he was glad that it wasn't a Camaro or a Mustang. Well, when it come back from Kryptonite, because um, we had some trouble getting a rear end with all the COVID stuff going on, he'd made a jig to where we could roll it around on the jig and I delivered it to Tulsa to Kryptonite. When they got it done and brought it back, his jaw was on the ground until it left. he he told me, he says, everybody makes fun of me. He says, I come out and I walk by it and I just stop and stare at it. And it's changing colors or I find something that I didn't see. And he says, everybody makes fun of me now. So uh, when when you look at it, it kind of does. And it does flip colors. Uh, There's a lot of pearlescent that a lot of people don't think that you can have in that wrap product that you can have in paint product. And uh, it has a lot of depth to it. And uh, that's where Chris using the latest, greatest state-of-the-art product from 3M, it's done so well.
0: And with this being such a different kind of, you know, the, the chassis is different, the body is different, has there been a big adjustment for you getting used to driving this car versus other, you know, door cars you've driven?
1: <clears throat> this thing's like sitting in your Lazy Boy. I mean, really? You get in it and you put it on the mat and you let go of the button and it just goes. Um it uh, a lot of times I'll keep the mic and go. It didn't leave, and when we get back, it was the fastest 60 foot that it's had. Uh, you know, it it it's so much more different than what I'm used to driving. Um, I did drive Larry's bus for a while, and it's a very docile Pro Mod in itself, but it's also 120 inches long. So when people try to correct you know, uh, and maneuver the, the bus around, it kind of gets them in trouble because you have to wait on it like a dragster just to come back to you. Where in a pro mod, you've got to get get back under control with it. Um, so the the good things are, you know, it is a new car and new cars drive well. Um, the, uh, the good things were is now you've got room to get the transmission out. You're not Stuck in there with one guy trying to pick that turbo 400 up and getting it out, and all hunched over. We've got room because the car is so tall through the middle. Um, but uh, no, it's uh, the, the everything on Larry's side had worked out for the best. And, you know, I'm 120% happy with it. It's every vendor complimented every vendor that had had it prior. Uh, there wasn't anybody pointing figures that. Of, well they should have done this or they should have done that so that always makes for a good project when all your vendors get along
0: it's interesting to mention the transmission situation because that's another thing you know with the project cars i'm working on i'm doing stuff on them that seems it's di- more difficult now but it's about the maintenance side of things and then after you've had a few cars you've worked on some cars you kind of you kind of learn that you learn that lesson don't you
1: oh yeah oh yeah um yeah, you know, we can't use a traditional T-handle to get the get the uh, spark plugs out because the motor's back underneath the cow so far. So we're still working on some things to make it a little easier to work on. But uh, you know, for it to come out and look like it does and perform like it does, we'll figure out how to get spark plugs out of it.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely a crowd favorite for sure because again, it's it's different. I, I remember I saw one of the pictures from from Martin and you know, he had your car, Randy Adler's car. You know, that dude with, the, I think it was Chip King with the, that mock that Mustang. like
1: Yes, that was Chip.
0: I'm like, man, that like right there, we need more of that in pro mod. I told Galimi, I was like, you guys are doing it right there. For some reason with the NMCA, you get these cars to show up like that. And it's cool because it's all different vehicles that are there. And it's awesome to see. You just need a Willys in there now to, to, to give it the full throwback feel.
1: Well, and Galagos has the Willys. So, I mean, you've got Midwest Pro Mod, NMCA, <clears throat> um, the uh, PDRA, uh, I think Northeast Pro Mod has went to eighth mile now, you know, that are going to eighth mile venues and the rules are very, very similar. I mean, there's not a whole lot to change to float between those. Um, and, you know, look at the Snowbirds. They had 50 cars sign up immediately. And I think uh anthony told me or victor had told me that uh you know he had 22 on the waiting list to get into the 50 car show um so i think that lets you know when we're doing things right you know if, if uh nhra would take a look at more eighth mile racing at that level i think they could see more numbers come up
0: and I think that that's, you know, when you talk with people, you know, you get those conversations. Oh, what would you build if you had the money? I'm like, dude, build a pro mod. You can swing a cat and hit a pro mod race somewhere in the Midwest, even if it's like a local, you know, 16 car shootout or something where you t- tone it down, go race top sportsmen. There's a lot of opportunities to run these cars in safe environments.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Now, Craig, I always like to throw my guests some fun questions to kind of you know start to slow things down and finish it up. And this is gonna be in regards to building a car. Now, you've got the opportunity to build another car besides the Merc. What would you dig out of your bag of tricks? Because if you, you had the barn burner, you got Mel Romero, what, what would you follow that up
1: with? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, oh, probably a 37 Ford or something.
0: Something totally, completely off the reservation, different. Yep, that that again would be interesting to see a pro mod version of that car. You know, just like your car, the the Elmer is a modern interpretation of the, the the ones previous to it. You see the guys doing the Fox body pro mods. Yeah, I think a, a thirty seven Ford. Now that that would be interesting to see because again, you don't see a lot of
1: them. Well, the hood ornament does everything on that car. Oh yeah. Because the, the hood ornament, you turn 90 degrees to lift the hood up. So there's a lot of fun to be had with the hood ornament in that car. It,
0: it, and right now, Larry Jeffers is probably going, oh, no, no, make it, <laughs> make it stop. no." <laughs> Meanwhile, the guys at Kryptonite Customs, their they're heads full of sugar plums and dancing. They're like, yeah. And the chassis guy's like, no, please, no. I've got to design a, to design a hood now. No.
1: <laughs> yep
0: well craig our time here is coming to an end i would like to give my guests their opportunity to thank all their sponsors you know john for style tell people where to find them at so uh i'm going to turn the floor over to you so you can thank you need to thank and tell people where they can learn more about uh what you got going on
1: sure sure uh kryptonite customs for colors. uh there is nobody and there's a, a couple of big facilities here in indy but nobody can compete with kryptonite for the quality and, and uh the presentation that they can do. Uh, Larry Jeffers, you know, he inventories parts for steel roof and quarters cars. I mean, uh, the guy is one of my best friends. He's got an oil product that works very well. We've switched all of our engine customers to, um, you know, the, the, uh, engine side of our deal, uh, Brad Anderson and Darren Mayer at DMPE have gotten us all of our core parts, our heads and our intakes and, and uh, Darren has helped us with port design. You know, of course, he goes through all of our superchargers uh, to get them to where they're at. Um, you know, Weisco, uh MGP, uh, Molly, um, the the guys at Jessel, have done a fantastic job with this PSI on valve Springs, uh, Manton on their uh, rocker arms and, and pushrod product. Uh, Mark uh, Mickey at uh, M&M, Mark Menser at Menser Motorsports. Uh, again, these guys are some of my best friends, but are also vendors to me. And uh, yeah, the service after the sale means far more than the price that you're trying to get. Uh, there's a wealth of knowledge there with everything that they look at, and uh, it's been great to work it all with all of them. PST uh, on our driveshaft product, Chrisman with our rear end product, um, uh, the guys at Firecore for our wires—they've uh, all been good. Uh, FuelTech uh, at any hour of the day, I can get an answer uh, from somebody from FuelTech Corporate or an affiliate. Uh, Joe Plasky at Hyperactive. Uh, he's been with me 20 years in our racing product and uh, has been very good to us. Uh, you know, Tom Radloff, uh, Andy Smith, uh, for all their dedication on the team side. Um, but uh, it, it's been a good run with our, with our two pro mods, and we're looking to uh, try to win a championship in 2022. Uh, we finished second with the NMCA, and uh, that's uh, – it's been a pretty good statement for us, uh, but uh, plan on doing a lot of racing and heading south here after uh, Halloween, so we'll see how much more we can advance the, the Mercury, but uh, I appreciate everybody's time, and uh, thank you, Brian. No
0: problem. Of course, I've, I've got to thank my sponsors, Performance Distributors, Airflow Research, Pro Charger, Holly MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Fuel, Air Spark Technology, Elderbrock, Manley, JE Pistons, and Dart. Craig, thanks for joining me on the show. Next time I see you at the track, I'm going to have to pick me up one of those uh, snazzy shirts so I can uh, show that
1: badass car off. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. See you soon. Yep.